Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Passion drive and patience what brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive ebay motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers roof racks exhaust kits led headlights and more whether you're into speed power or style ebay motors has got you covered with over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die you'll always find exactly what you're looking for And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Cheeseheads. Cheeseheads. Get on your feet. It's Curd and Law. Hosted by Sparky Fighter and Ryan Horvath. Welcome in another edition of Curd and Long. Steve Sparky Pfeiffer here uh, once again today, 1250amthefan.com. Ryan Horvath off uh, doing other daytime shows on the BetQL radio network instead of his normal evening show. And he's going to be out in Vegas next week, so we won't have Ryan Horvath for a while. Joining us today, special guest co-host, my guy Pete Doherty from the Green Bay Press Gazette. Follow him on Twitter at Pete Doherty. Pete, thanks for coming on, man. Appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me, Sparky. Okay, so... I want to dive into something that you may not be expecting me to dive into, but it's on my mind. So I kind of want to talk about it and I I picked you to talk to it about, I I want to go back in time a little bit to McCarthy and Ted and Murphy. And we had silos and we had to break the silos down. So we were going to have this new way of being. And then Murphy decided to be power hungry and say, okay, everybody's going to report to me. Russ ball. You're coming to me. Goody. You're coming to me. LaFleur. You're coming to me. And we separated everybody out. Looking at it now that we've kind of seen it, do we like the structure? I have questions about the structure myself, but do you like the structure of how this whole thing has played out since they've made these changes? I still prefer the, you make a GM, the czar of the football side of the team, and he hires the coach. And if you don't, and he makes all those decisions. And if the, uh, administration doesn't like the way things are going. You make a change of general manager and let the next general manager do the same thing. Um, you know, that way you have a football person in charge and you have a real s- straight line for authority. Um, it's worked out fine 
you know, the way they've done it, there were, you know, I wondered if um, the issues with, you know, with Rogers going back a couple of years ago, if that, you know, that could create areas where you could have both the coach and the GM blaming the other one when they're talking to Murphy because things went wrong or, you know, if the team had gone downhill. Um, but that hasn't happened. They've done well, so you can't, you know, you can't argue with it. Um, from what I understand, from everybody that I've talked to over there, Murphy views his role more as a facilitator of communication. And it's Gutekunst is making the personnel calls and, and uh, LaFleur is making the coaching decisions. Um, so I, I think Gutekunst has a lot of the powers that previous GMs have had, but the final call still is Murphy's. Uh, but it sounds to me like he's he views his role more as a communication facilitator than anything else. All right, let's talk about the roles, as, as you just put it. I personally, myself, have issue uh, if it is true as they say it is. And I don't think I believe that it's as true black and white as they say it is where, hey, Matt, if you want to bring Joe Barry back for 10, 12 years, have at it, man. Nobody's going to say no. You're in charge of your staff. Like I find that absurd to me that the general manager of the football team essentially has no say over what his head coach's coaching staff looks like, especially the coordinators. Like, if you want to have say over your running backs, coach, wide receivers, coach, whatever, that's on you. But, but like, the coordinators, and you're struggling defensively and so forth, but he's my boy, so I'm not going to make a change. I find it hard to believe that Brian Gunnikun's general manager can't decide one way or the other that something needs to change to his head coach. Yeah, you know, there's a couple ways that could go. I mean, contractually, LaFleur has – say, over the, over the coaching staff. And going back to, to Ron Wolf, which is when I started covering, the coach had final say over the coaching staff. Now, the GM clearly can has his opinions and can try to persuade. Push comes to shove. They can fire. If, if, if let's say, Gutekunst and Murphy just were adamant that he made the change and LaFleur said, no, I'm not doing it, well, Murphy could fire – LaFleur and you know so it would come down to you know LaFleur making that stand what would he really go to the mat for that so some of this is probably kind of semantics too yep um, I don't in this instance I doubt that LaFleur needed somebody to, to tell him that he needed to make the change um, but I don't know that to be the case and so yeah there even though it's contractually written that LaFleur has final say you know, the, the president can still can fire him for any reason. And, and if he wants to make a change at, at a coordinator and LaFleur won't do it, then he could fire him for that reason. All right. Now let's expand this because when Ted Thompson was the general manager, he didn't care what Dom Capers thought of what he drafted defensively. Oh, you play a three, four. Here's Nick Perry who plays with his hand in there. Figure out how you want to use him. I mean, that's kind of how it was. And Gary Leroy, and myself always would talk about it. He would draft whoever. And then the defensive coordinator coaching staff had to try and figure out how to make that guy work within the scheme. Pittsburgh, Baltimore, they draft guys that fit their scheme specifically. That's what they draft for. I listened to Brent Gutekunst yesterday, pretty much saying, I'm going to draft who I want to draft and they can figure it out. I hate that. Like, I hate it with a passion. I thought we were done with these stubborn days of, oh, I'm a dressed best football player. My coach can figure it out. Like, I don't want to call him an idiot, but it's damn close. If you're bringing a defensive coordinator in and he wants to run a certain scheme, then you should be drafting to help him get the success that he needs to get out of that scheme. Not saying I'm going to give you a bunch of different guys, put the puzzle together yourself. It's not on me. Like, I, 
I hate that philosophy with a passion, P. Doherty. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. So this is where I would it would really be great to sit in on draft meetings and to be in the draft room to know exactly how these things go down. Because um, there's, you know, of course there's communication between the coaching staff and the scouting staff on what qualities they're looking for at any given position. But it's the scouting staff and it's the GM who makes the final call on these draft picks. So we don't know how much, when you get down to it, how much the coaching staff's desires go into the personnel decisions. Because on the one hand, you don't want your coaching staff picking your draft picks because you're, after your scouting staff spent all year scouting these guys and they know them inside out and have the coaches come in you know, and study them for a month and say, I like this guy best. Uh, on the other hand, the, the staff should have some say in the, the traits they're looking for. Um, and when you talk to at different times, I've heard different things about how those things work. Uh, the general sense I get is that the coaching staff doesn't have, it has some influence, but not a lot on who they pick. Um, so, but I think it's, it just depends who you talk to. I would really, I would love to, to sit in on some of those meetings and see who they pick and see what they, you know, what the coaching staff had said about them to know these things uh, for sure. But yes, the, the thing that what you're pointing to is an area that could be a real problem because you, you got, you do need to pick guys who uh, fit the defense you're going to play, or you got to have a coordinator who just wants good players and he'll make use of them, you know, regardless of their traits, he'll adjust to them. But I don't know how, you know, how many coaches are good at really good at doing that. Exactly right. That's exactly my point. There aren't a bunch of dudes that are going to sit there and be able to switch schemes and change things up based on what they have for personnel. A lot of these dudes know one way. They know it works. It's been their scheme forever. You plug and play the guys that they want, uh, and away they go. Now you have a defensive coordinator who is a college head coach coming from Boston College. To me, this lends more to the aspect of, Dude, let him have a say, man. He's been in college football for the last three, four years. He's seen tape. He's played against some of these guys. He has an idea of who he likes, who he doesn't like. I'm not saying the man's got to be involved in making the draft pick on day three. But what I am saying is at least for rounds one and two, maybe, maybe three, and give him an idea of like, hey, these three or four guys are in our area. Here's some film on them to kind of go over here in the next couple of weeks. Tell us kind of in order, like, who would you like uh, of the guys that we're kind of have circled that might be here in this area? Now, obviously, if on draft day somebody falls, 
and you didn't have a chance to talk to your coach or whatever, then you got to make that decision. But I don't think it's that hard to say leading up to draft three weeks out, four weeks out when your draft board is relatively set of these are guys that we're kind of looking at. Coach, tell us what you think, you and your guys, and kind of put them in order for us. Is it that out of the realm of possibility to ask guys to do that? No, and I, I would hope at a bare minimum that's what they're doing. I mean, it doesn't mean they would have they have to do what he, you know, like if they rank the players differently, they could, you know, if they still really want, they can pick the guy they want. But they, I, I would hope that they would get his input on that. I would hope, you know, back when they drafted, uh, you know, Matthews and BJ Raji, that, um, you know, they had, they consulted Capers to some degree on that, um, uh, you know, and like, like I said, that's where it would be great to sit in in the meetings. And to know, to find out just how much, because they all pay lip service to it. You know, yes, Gutekunst, yep. he'll say, yeah, you know, we, of course, we listen to them. If you talk to the coaches, you know, in, the, in their uh, press conferences, they say, oh, yeah, yeah, they ask for our opinions. We give our opinions. We scout these guys. Um, but it's, unless you're in the room, you don't know how much influence they actually have. Why do you think Jim Leonard wasn't involved? in the process this time after being involved in the process, the last time going all the way down to the end, he doesn't take the job. Whatever happens, Joe Barry gets the job. He thinks he's the guy at Wisconsin guy. At Wisconsin gets fired. He doesn't, uh, you know, like the situation. So he leaves for Illinois to be a consultant. As far as I know, he's still in Madison. So he's still close. He hasn't gone anywhere. Still doesn't have a new gig. Why wouldn't you go back there? If you liked him the last time. So the, the one the possible the one possibility this could cut either way it could be you know a lot of times when these teams and you know when a head coach goes to a guy and says you know hey we, you know we want you as our coordinator and the guy says no you know after you interview him he's like well you know if he doesn't want to if he, if we weren't good enough for him then we don't want him now if he doesn't want to be here we don't want him and they take could take it personally they could you know for whatever reason just say no we're done with this guy uh, the other way would be hey, I totally understand why he didn't take it. I get it. His circumstances have changed. We liked him then. Um, so why not like him now? So I don't know if, you know, if, if we don't know if LaFleur – I have not heard I, – I know some people who who know uh, who know Leonard, and as far as they know, Leonard did not interview for this job this time around and was not contacted. It was, certainly wasn't reported anywhere. Um, so, you know, who knows? Maybe they'll uh, – because I think he, he spent last season – as a special assistant to the with Illinois, right? Yeah, correct. Consulting or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. So he was just down there for like, you know, five days in the week and then he'd, you know, for the weekend he'd come back to, to Madison, from what I understand. Um, who knows? Maybe they'll hire him to be their DB coach. Yeah, I I don't I don't understand how he's not a D coordinator somewhere, wherever, division one or I, I don't think they want to move. And I, I think that's why he's not anywhere else in the country because they don't want to leave Madison. And that's my thing with the Packer job is he wouldn't have had to leave Madison. Not that far. I mean, they could have stayed yeah. there. He could have done his Packer job and he wouldn't have had to be out on the recruiting trail, wasting time in the offseason doing that type of stuff. It, it's a perfect fit. Now, again, this is not a knock on the Boston College dude. I've been watching you know, film as much as everybody else trying to figure out what this dude's all about and, and what to expect. So this guy may hit out of the park. I'm just kind of surprised they never went back to the ball. All right, take a quick time. I'll come back. I want to talk more about that Brian Goodenkunst press conference uh, from on Thursday. Some of the other things he uh, pointed at, including that safety position. We'll talk more with Pete Doherty after this. On the Kurt Along podcast, downloading your Odyssey app, where you download your favorite podcast at. Check us out. It's live streaming on the Odyssey Sports YouTube page as well.
Hey, it's C Sparky, 5 or 1250 AM The Fan. Check out all the great interviews that I got up over at 1250amthefan.com uh, for the week. We do three, four interviews a week. Always fun to go check that out. Uh, Michael Lombardi, the former NFL GM, that'll be going up later today on Friday. Tim Muma. Uh, we'll also be going up talking about the latest Brewers trade. If you are, you're interested in talking Brewers baseball, Corbin Burns being traded. Lots of good stuff over there. Plus, I talked to uh, the Boston College uh, beat writer uh, as well, uh, talking about the new defense coordinator for the Packers. That's up already. 1250 amthefan.com or on your Odyssey app. Pete Doherty, special guest co-host today for Ryan Horvath. Follow him on Twitter at Pete Doherty. Okay, so the press conference with Brian Gutekunst, a lot covered. We'll get into some of it uh, now. Uh, first, they you know talk about the safety room uh, and what that looks like. He talked about pretty much needing to redo the safety room, uh, whether it be through free agency, whether it be through draft and so forth. Your initial thoughts on Darnell Savage uh, and whether or not it makes sense or you can think of a way of him being back uh, on this team again next year. You know, unless it was on the super cheap, um, if I'm the Packers, I'm just moving on. Um I might sign, uh, I don't know, Jonathan Owens maybe, try to sign him again for real cheap as you know to be a, the third guy. And I'm going out and signing a free agent, and I'm using a draft pick in the probably in the first two rounds, no later than the first three, I would hope, to draft the other starter and start over there. You know, they, they do have Johnson, the seventh-round pick from last year for depth two. He did okay, you know, especially for a seventh-round pick, but – um, yeah, I'm I'm looking for at least an Adrian Amos type in free agency, if not better, and drafting really high and uh, rolling with uh, two new guys there. Yeah, you know, and I don't know what your feeling on this is. My feeling in the past has always been I've been not a big fan of drafting safeties early in the first round, right? I mean, yeah. yes, there are the exceptions, the Ed Reeds of the world, so forth, fine. But for the most part, you know, ha, Clinton Dix, did that really work? I mean, I don't know if that really worked per se as as far as first-round value goes type deal. Savage, did that really work? You might be able to make the argument that Clinton Dix was better than Savage even uh, at this point. I just don't know if I like going that route. I think I'm I'm more of the old-school route because I'm old uh, about converting a corner to a safety position or drafting a safety later and, and trying to make it work. What are your feelings on using that that first-round pick, let's say, on the safety on a safety position? Yeah, I, I generally I, I can't disagree with you at all. Uh, you know, like you said, there are exceptions. Um, there might be a guy who you have rated really high who still may, might be on the board who'd be worth it. But that this is one where you'd had I think that's a position where you have to be really careful about not letting need creep into your evaluation, even subconsciously, because um, I you know and good because history is you know mostly premium position guys, right? Jordan Love, quarterback, Alexander, a corner, um, outside pass rushers with Gary and Van Ness. Um, you know, so I, I'm i guessing he'll take a premium position again this year and wait till the second or third round to draft that safe. They have the two second-round picks, which helps, you know, and two third-round picks. Um, so, yeah, I agree with you. You know, I would generally, if possible, stick with the premium positions. But, you know, you just – you, I'd, I'd never make the blanket statement, no way, but you just got to be really careful. And I, I'm with you. I'd pre- Jeff, I definitely prefer not to draft a safety in the first round. I think if you look at the first round, there's a chance. I'm not saying it's great. But I think there's a chance that you may have a good cornerback that might be sitting there looking at you 
uh, when you go to make your selection. Now, there's also a chance they might all be gone. Uh, who knows how this is going to play out? And if they're all gone, then there's going to be offensive tackle or two sitting there looking at you uh, as well. That's another possibility. I think those are probably the two most legitimate options for the Packers, would be my guess, corner uh, or offensive tackle if they want to go that way. Goody was hinting at why we move Zach Tom. He played really well. Why screw with him? Uh, just leave him out there. Uh, so then you're talking about it's Rasheed Walker or whoever you draft maybe to replace Bakhtiari. Uh, your thoughts uh, on those two positions kind of going into this draft uh, as far as, you know, need most, I guess, going into this thing. Yeah, if I were going to handicap, uh, you know, just guessing what positions are most likely, I think I'd go corner first, tackle second. Um, this might, you know – I, I'm not ruling out at all uh, edge rusher or pass rusher at any spot, you know, especially with this. It sounded like this guy's probably leans more towards a four three, um, you know, Van S and Gary, both of those guys, either of them could play inside, especially Van S, you know, they could, especially on passing downs um, and Preston Smith, I'm assuming he'll be back, but you know, this very likely would be the last year and pass rushers. Yeah. I mean, you cannot have enough good pass rushers. If you want to have good defense, if you want to play good defense, you need really, you know, really good pass rushers. Uh, so I'm not ruling out, you know, a front, any, any, anybody playing along the, the defensive front for the first round pick too. I'd be looking hard at those guys too. So handicap and I'd probably go some kind of defensive front guy as, as the third position. And then you never know with any of the others, but those would be the, the, the most likely. Linebacker, Quay Walker, shown flashes. We'll see how this new guy decides to use Quay Walker. Campbell's done, I would think. Uh, McDuffie played for this dude at Boston College. Do you see a, a possibility that he actually gets the starting nod here playing for his old coach next to Quay Walker and they don't worry about linebacker as much as maybe we thought going into this thing? Yeah, I think that's actually maybe the most likely way it turns out. Um, you know, maybe they'll take an inside guy in the second round and start him. But, you know, the guy did well enough where they're at least okay if they go that way. I still, you know, they still need to draft an even high an inside linebacker, but that guy wouldn't necessarily have to come in and start. I mean, I think they'd feel fine, you know, with McDuffie starting, but that's a high attrition position. And, you know, they're going to, I think McDuffie will be, this will be his fourth season coming up, right? I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they'll need to probably or possibly replace him, you know, a year down the road too. So, uh, but yeah, I could, I could definitely see McDuffie being a, a, a starter. I, you know, I don't know that they were any worse and maybe they were a little better with him in there than with Campbell. Cause Campbell was, you know, he was, his body's broken down. He was, he was playing hurt and he just wasn't, he's not the same guy he was a couple of years ago. I thought even though, even though McDuffie is smaller, I thought he played the run way better than Campbell did. He was just quicker getting through the gaps uh, and meeting running backs in the hole. Uh, and, and again, it's not thing to take away from Devondre Campbell. Like you said, he's been playing hurt or whatever the case may be. But I just thought they were better against the run when McDuffie was in there versus when Devondre Campbell was in there. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, it's funny. Uh, last year, I just thought, man, McDuffie, he's just a little too, you know, he plays really hard and you like all that, but he's just too small. He gets engulfed by these blockers. But as the season went on this year, the more you watched him, the more he was like, man, he's, he's really aggressive. Um, he he's he plays with some anticipation. You know, by the end of the season, I was like, you know, this guy is this guy's good enough. Yeah, I think so too. I, I think he might end up being that guy. Uh, the other thing, uh, talking about Gutekunst, I was very surprised by this. And 
Maybe it's not used against them. I'd use it if I was an agent. But he has been, and LaFleur both, have been open about their love affair with Aaron Jones at running back. Open and honest. To the point like, dude, you're a GM. You have to negotiate this deal or rest ball, whatever. But you keep saying all this. He's our heartbeat, our heart and soul, or all this stuff you've been saying about him. When asked about if he's coming back, if I'm his agent, I was like, okay, sounds good. I'm going to use all of these here. I'm going to put these all in front of you. You said all of this. I think we need you know, to get paid A, B, and C here uh, to have uh, your guy Aaron Jones back. I agree that they have to have him back next year, so I'm there. But I, I just wonder how much it's going to end up costing them based on how they're saying. Because, again, had he not said that, uh, you could just argue, dude's not healthy. Like, he can't stay healthy. Sorry, we're not going to be able to give him what you want. But then when you come out and say, look, we're so much better when he is there, does it work against them a lot or does it not matter? A little probably. Um, you know, they they got to, they're trying to walk that line between, I mean, he is such a good player and they want to make him, you know, say it publicly so he knows it because obviously it's partly directed towards him and his teammates. He's such a respected guy in the locker room. Uh, the, the one thing is, when it comes down to the actual negotiating, you know, Russ Ball, I mean, this is still, as this is a 29-year-old guy, going to be 30 sometime during next season. He's missed a lot of games. He missed a lot of games this year. Um, he even felt his hamstring go on that last run, that long run against San Francisco. Um, so he is, you know, there's a degree of the injury waiting to happen. We all know how fast running backs age. By 27, they're old. You know, and this guy's 29, you know, 30 around the corner. So, Russ Ball will still be able to say in their in their negotiations, you know, because he's I think he's called on to make he's going to make twelve million this year, eleven million base salary plus some some bonuses. You know, look, we'll pay you eight and a half, you know, nine, whatever. I don't I don't know what the number is. And if they I said, well, you said this and this and this about him, they still could come around and say, you know, if you don't take it, he's on the open market. Nobody else is going to pay you. They're not going to pay a twenty even as good as he is. They're not paying a twenty nine year old running back that kind of money it's probably more here than you'll get anywhere and that'll probably be enough to get the deal done you know that and that's the one thing because if they don't have aaron jones if the agent goes to hell with this i'm out of here you don't like us we're gonna go somewhere else good luck with your offense without my guy that's why i think they're in a situation they have to take one or two running backs maybe uh in this draft and see if you can find another guy because I don't know if A.J. Dillon is back. I can't imagine he is, right? Uh, so if A.J. Dillon is gone, you have Wilson, you have Jones, Patrick Taylor, I'm done with him. We can move on from him. Um, so they got to go get a running back or two. And I personally don't Great. want a bruising running back. I'm done with the A.J. Dillon type. Give me guys that can hit the home run. Give me a guy that's a, a third down type scat back and return punts and has blazing speed and can catch the football. I'd rather have that than the bruising version of that. Pete Doherty has been holding up three fingers to me on, on the Odyssey Sports YouTube page that I've been talking. Do you think they should take three running backs? I do. They got 11 <laughs> picks. You know, they did it the year um, they got Jones. That was three running backs. And he was the middle pick. They picked uh, Williams in the fourth round. Oh, yeah. They picked Jones in the fifth. And I'm blanking on the seventh rounder. Um, but they picked three of them. And – Jones ended up being outstanding. Williams was okay, and the other guy ended up getting cut. You can't count on hitting on picks. I mean, you miss more than you hit. So I'm picking three, hoping at least one hits pretty good, and really hoping 
you know, one hits really good and one hits at least, you know, pretty decent. So you got two guys right there. This, the attrition rate at that position is so high. Jones, uh, you know, he historically has been a 60% snap player. You know, they've been doing that to keep him healthy, uh, uh, fresh for, you know, in-game and healthy at the end of the season. Uh, he's at his age and everything now, It's got he's got to be less than a 50% player, you know, 40, I don't know, somewhere in there. Um, so they need – they and they, they're going to have to be able to play – this is probably it for him. So they'll have to replace him next year. So, yeah, I'm picking three of them. Let's talk about Jordan Love because that came up in the Brian Goodenkins press conference uh, as well. As far as, you know, we got to get something done long-term. We want to build around him. Okay. What type of money are we talking about for this dude? I, I, I can't see them paying him $50 million. I just – I can't. I, I think it's going to be somewhere in the area of 43 to 45. That's that's my guess to how this looks. If you look at quarterbacks around the league, where they are, he's going to get more than Daniel Jones because the Packers have no argument against that because the Giants are idiots. So he's going to get more than 40. So now it's just a matter of how much more than 40 does he get. It's one year only. That's all he's got to kind of go off of. Yes, you made the playoffs. You were a game over 500. You had a horrible stretcher in the season. Again, you don't want to say this to the guy, but that's kind of everything that goes into this. Uh, so I'll say 43 to 45. Where do you see this going? So I don't know how, how closely, you know, you, you, you do all these different sports and and th- this is getting into minutia stuff that only if you're just neck deep in the beat. So, you know, like the new money, old money distinction. No, you know, explain so it to everybody listening. Go ahead. It's, it's, it's kind of hard, so I hope I don't just butcher it. But uh, so he's got a year left on his deal. So he'll sign an extension. And what they'll be doing is it'll be a five-year deal total, but they're only adding four years because he's already on a contract right. for 24. So they'll add four years onto that. And five years is the longest you can prorate. So it'll be a four-year extension to the year he has left. So it'll be a five-year deal. So the new money, I'm guessing, will average right around $50 million. So, um, But the new money distinction, it's semantics. It's an agent game to make them look like they're getting guys more money than they really are. The thing that'll be to look at with this deal is how much he averages over the first three years. So over 24, 25, and 26. That'll include a big signing bonus and the salaries for each of those years. My guess is the numbers that you just said are probably about what the first three-year average will be. Whereas the new money average, which is, it's more just phony. It's, 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 there's a real phony element to it. That'll be the reported number. And that'll be the number that shows up when they show the highest paid quarterbacks. But the money that the, the number that matters will be the first three years. And my guess is, you know, that'll be around 130 mil or so, which would be right in you know, 130, 135, which is right in line with the 43 to million or whatever you thought would be the average. Okay. So let's talk about it from this perspective. The Packers are reverse of every other team that ever does this. Normally it's get the rookie quarterback, keep him on the small deal, and then go spend your money elsewhere and go win a Super Bowl because once that quarterback money hits, you're screwed. Packers are reverse. Goody said, tell you what, Jordan Love, we're going to have to pay you if this works, but my offense is dirt cheap and are going to be dirt cheap for several years, so it's okay if I have to pay you early because I'm not going to have to pay these guys for another three or four years, so we're good you know, I don't want to call it brilliant necessarily, but I mean, it, it's it's kind of going to work out really well for them before this is all said and done. I think where they're going to be okay for these next two or three years cap wise because they're not going to have to pay these guys. 
yeah, you know, I I hadn't thought of it in that ter- in those terms, but you're right because all those guys catching passes, the two tight ends and the six receivers, they're all first and second year guys. Even on the offensive they line, really, they got young guys. Yeah, it's incredible. It's and it's really cheap labor. So, um, so it is. You know, I, you know, I come across. I've gotten questions about you know people saying, well, you know, that it's stupid to draft the quarterback as early as they drafted Love because as soon as he starts playing, you got to pay him. So you lose that whole advantage that you were talking about financially. But the harder part is finding the good quarterback and then giving him a chance to succeed. So I think you draft him early like they did. I think it's a really wise move. Doesn't mean it's going to work, but you do it. If you have a crack at a guy you really like and they did it. And so it's the price of doing business and they're going to have to pay him after one season. That's just the way it goes. You, you find a way to make do. And amongst other things, you hope he looks at a guy like Mahomes and he doesn't try to squeeze every dollar he can out of you. Uh, so you do have a little more money to work with and you got to manage your cap well. And you're right, they just, they walked into a great, they set it up great where they, they've got these really, really good young receivers and tight ends and they're going to have them for two more years, three, some of them, at, uh, at a really low price. And that is a huge offset to the, the money that's going to have to go to their quarterback. One last question for Pete Doherty of the Green Bay Press, because I'd follow him on Twitter at Pete Doherty. Don't the guy to pay Matt LaFleur now? I mean, hasn't he shown that it's more than Aaron Rodgers, that he's the guy to keep that locker room together through the downturn, to have that offense looking unstoppable, unstoppable by the end of the year with people that just literally got into the National Football League or finally just starting in the National Football League? Don't they have to give this dude a new deal to show their confidence like you're the man and you're going to be here with Jordan Love kind of going forward? Because the one thing I've noticed around football is when their play callers leave, these quarterbacks all of a sudden don't look the same. Josh Allen, Brian Dable leaves, all of a sudden Josh Allen doesn't look as good. Jalen Hurts, Steichen leaves to go to the Colts, all of a sudden he doesn't look as good anymore. You see it across football all the time. That's why I would never hire a defensive head coach ever. Because if your offense goes, that coordinator is going to go be a head coach, and now that quarterback has to learn somebody else coming in. It's a horrible position to put your quarterback in. With LaFleur, if it's me, I make sure he's with Jordan Love for the foreseeable future. Yeah, you, um, there certainly seems to be a great chemistry there already. I think you're right. LaFleur has shown his bona fides. I mean, uh, the improvement that quarterback showed from September to January, it, it was incredible. Um I was, as you were saying that, I was thinking through. The only thing is, they gave Lafleur an extension, and that might have been last off season. Um, so, so how long is the extension got, for? Uh, it was for it was like two or three years. So he had like you know, so he had like four four years on his deal left. So, I don't think it's going to happen this year, but especially with the coach and the GM, they don't, they never let those guys, if they like them, they don't, they don't let them get into the last year of their contract. So it is something they're going to have to revisit either a year from now or two years from now, and he'll get a big raise, but he did get an extension. It was pretty recent. And I think it might, it, I can't remember now if it was last off season or the one before. Um, I think it was last off season though. I got, I lied. I have one more Mark Murphy. How much longer does he run the show here? And is Ed Policy the natural guy to replace him? So Murphy has mandatory retirement a year from July. So, so to get him it. through the draft. 
Yeah, so this will be his last season, his last full season. Um, and yeah, it sure looks like Ed Policy is the guy. Good. You know, at that point, it won't be, it's not Murphy's call, it's the executive committee's call. And you never know what they might do and what kind of search they might want to do. Um, but everything has been set up to, you know, to train policy for this, to, uh, you know, he goes to all the meetings, he, the whole title town thing. He ran that whole, yep. uh, he ran that whole thing. He's worked for, he worked for, I think it was NFL Europe, uh, way back when, uh, I think he did some work. He's worked in the league office. He goes to the, the meetings, the, the league meetings, you know, he's there with Murphy. So he knows all the movers and shakers in the league. He knows the lay of the land here. He's been here. I'd have to look it up, but he's been here. I mean, it's at bare minimum five years. I'm pretty sure it's long. It's closer to 10 probably. Um, so yeah, everything is, it appears to be set up for him. He's by far the leading candidate, but you don't know until they actually, you know, make the announcement and go through the hiring process and all that. Congratulations to Leroy Butler. No, I'm just joking. He is on the executive committee, though. Yeah, the, uh, no, he's on the uh, board of directors. The board, yeah, yeah. The board, yeah. yeah. He is Pete Doherty. Follow him on Twitter at Pete Doherty. Uh, again, check out all of his great work over the Green Bay Press Gazette. I'm C. Sparky Fiverr. You can follow me at Sparky Radio. Thanks so much for tuning in. Talk to you next time.